All right. I, uh, I wanted to make just a couple of comments. While Pastor was talking, I thought of two things I wanted to mention. Um, first of all, he mentioned that funny sweatshirt. I saw one recently I got the biggest kick out of. It was at the airport when I was flying back from seeing my granddaughter. And uh, I saw this lady was coming, working, coming toward me, young lady. And she had a shirt that said, Killing Me Smalls. And then uh, she was chasing this little boy, and his shirt said, Smalls. I thought that was the greatest. I just got such a kick out of that. So I said, I feel your pain. I've been there before. She, she was, uh, was good. Then other thing here. So when Pastor read this, for our light affliction was just for, but for a moment. Um, do you, did you ever notice what that is on the tail end of? Persecuted, cast down. Bearing in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, bruises, um, beaten, twice shipwrecked, or thrice shipwrecked. He lists all these horrible things and says, wow, light affliction. And uh, I thought I had light affliction this morning. I had to remove snow off the sidewalks. And that's what I look at as light affliction. Of course, this morning, praise the Lord, I got to do it with a leaf blower. That's the best way to remove snow. doesn't happen often, but... uh I think it's interesting the difference between what we call light affliction and what Paul called light affliction. I think if we went through what he did, uh, we'd be complaining a lot more. 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11 is where we're at tonight. One of the saddest things to read about in history is when a man starts high and then slides. Uh, Not, I say history, present day included. You know, when somebody starts good, and then goes bad. And it's, it's happened so many times, as we can see in history, and then also uh, in the man we're studying in Saul's life. He started strong, and then uh, he begins to slide down in pride and uh, self-destructive type behavior. After Saul's victory over the Ammonites, which we looked at last week, uh, or the, two weeks ago, last week I was in uh, preaching a meeting, so I appreciate Pastor Forsberg filling in. But uh, after he won this great victory over the Ammonites, Samuel calls the people together to renew the kingdom. And Samuel wanted to reaffirm, and that's what we're going to look at tonight, this meeting, that he called everybody together for to reaffirm what was started earlier in Mizpah. So basically the renewing of the kingdom meeting is, I guess, what we could call this. But let's start at chapter 11 and uh, verse number 12 because we're going to discuss this last part of what happened after that battle, and then we'll get into the meeting. And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. Then said Samuel to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice and all that ye said unto me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walketh before you and I am old and gray-headed. And behold, my sons are with you and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. Behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed, whose ox have I taken. Whose ass have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? 
of whose hands have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith, and I will restore it you. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. Now we're not going to do all of Samuel's message here, but we're going to refer to certain verses as we go through. But Samuel's point that he starts to make here, and, and we'll see certain verses, he talks about his, his testimony, the Lord's testimony with Israel, and what a, it's really sort of a sad speech, or a, we could call it a sermon, a message. And it's kind of sad here in, in verse 2, I am, uh, behold, the king walked before you, I am old and gray-headed, and behold, my sons are with you. Do you remember the reason that they wanted a king, the first thing they said to Samuel? You're old, we want a king. We're done with you. We're done. With, not only are you old, but your ways are old. We want something new. And uh, so he's acknowledging that, but then... He goes, well, we'll get, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's, let's uh, step back and uh, talk tonight, uh, just start the meeting from the beginning here, and then we'll get to that part of it. But uh, Saul, as the new king of Israel, was the focus of this meeting. And yet the most prominent person in the meeting was Samuel, not Saul. I think that's interesting. Uh, Samuel led the meeting. He is still the spiritual leader of the children of Israel. And uh, they should have kept him as their leader all the way, but they didn't. And uh, so he's going to talk about that. But let's pray as we sit, get started. We thank you, Father, for this evening. Thank you for all that are here this evening. It does my heart good. I know yours as well. To you see your people faithfully, your house. I pray that you bless and give us something tonight to, uh, to apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at the summons. Verse 14, Then said Samuel to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal, renew the kingdom there. Two things prompted this meeting. Number one, the conquering by Saul. He was, after he was chosen to be king, he did not go to some place and set up an administration. If you remember, we talked about this. He went home to uh, Gibeah. He took up his farming chores again. He did what David did. Went back to work with his father's sheep. Well, David did. Here he's working in the, on the farm again. Uh, so when word reached him of the oppression of Jabesh Gilead, we uh, talked about that two weeks ago. He uh, this, we read about how the Spirit of God came upon him and his anger was kindled greatly, chapter 11, verse 6. Uh, and so uh, he sent word, gathered the Israelites together. He went to battle. It was a great victory. So his great achievement would encourage the people to renew his kingship. Now, here's a principle that I'd just like to touch on. We do not nor should we elevate to office the untried and the unproven. We make that a, a practice, actually, here at at Bible Baptist, in, in fact, in a few, uh, the next month and the month after, uh, in January, uh, December and January, we'll talk about the different positions and, and uh, people will be in different places in our church and, and uh, we do that voting in January. And, and uh, one thing that I've always tried to keep, keep a, a hold on is that we don't, you don't promote a person into a position so they can serve and be faithful. You really give somebody a, a title when they're already serving and being faithful. We want people to be used of the Lord that way. I served in a church in Michigan. In, in my opinion, the uh, pastor made a mistake. In, uh, in, in we, had, we had a church of about the same size we have here, and we had like 12 deacons. Because every man that came through the door that was qualified in the least way, we'd make him a deacon. And uh, 
it became where it wasn't even anything special or uh, some of them weren't faithful. Some of them had worldly habits that you wouldn't expect deacons to have. And, and uh, it just became a non-special thing. And one of his beliefs was, well, he's not faithful, but let's make him a deacon, then he'll start being faithful. Positions don't make people faithful. We take faithful people and give them positions. That's the way that we like to do it. So some people want to be given a position even though they have not demonstrated a servant's heart. And I think that is backwards. They want recognition without achievement. They want awards without accomplishments. And uh, we, we, I don't think that's the way it should be. So here, I think this is a, a good thing that, that Saul demonstrated his abilities before they had this meeting where they officially made him king. So uh, then, then not only do we see the conquering by Saul, but the kindness of Saul. It, it's notable here what Saul did right after his great victory. After he defeated the Ammonites, his ad- admirers are out for blood. Uh, they said to Samuel at the Saul rally, he had a rally much like we see today where there, people are cheering and they're happy and they're waving signs and they're supporting him. And uh, so they said in verse 12, we read it here, Who is he that said Saul, Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. Do you remember back, uh, they're talking about those children of Belial who scorned Saul's selection. Back in chapter 10, verse 7, or 27, uh, how shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents. So Saul's admirers did not forget these men. Uh, so after the victory in the Ammonites, their excitement is, is uh, they're, they're all caught up in the excitement. They're all caught up in the Saul fever here because of his great victory. And so they demanded the death of anybody that would speak against Saul. Um, almost sounds like CNN today. But anyway, uh, you, you know, we, just because somebody is of a different mindset doesn't mean they're worthy of death. Uh, before Samuel could answer the people, Saul answered him. Look what he said in verse 13. There shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. This is a fantastic response for two reasons. I want you to look at it. He gave mercy to the detractors. We're not going to kill anybody just because they weren't on board uh, with Team Saul in the beginning here. And then secondly, it gave credit to God for the victory. He, he not only said, we're not going to hurt them, but by the way, folks, I didn't win the victory. God won the victory. And that's a tremendous statement that he gave God the credit here. It stopped what could have been an ugly scene uh, which would have divided a nation even further. It was Saul at his best, and it raised his esteem among the people. Unfortunately, he doesn't stay this good. He starts to uh, deteriorate after this. He would go only downhill in his behavior and his character after this moment. Uh, One preacher put it this way, He who showed at first patience and self-control became a restless and jealous king. He who executed his first military exploit with such Complete success became notable for his failures. Saul's act of kindness wasn't really his real character. I think it was the emotion of it all. He was having a good day, and it reflected his feelings more than his character. We see that uh, a lot of that even today in churches with people making a, an emotional decision. Uh, how many times have, have we even done that where we maybe we come to the altar, we make a decision in our seat, and then, uh, like the birds that Jesus talked about in the soil, they just come and take the seed away right after we leave. We've been there. By the way, if you want to have your temper tested, uh, just commit to God at some service. Lord, I'm gonna not have. I'm not gonna be angry this week. I'm gonna. 
I'm going to stay calm and carry on. I'm not going to be... And Satan will throw everything in your life your way to, to try to get you to be angry. There's nothing like making a decision for Christ that uh, will bring on the attacks. But uh, anyway, we often see that dedication is only skin deep when life comes into play. And we see that with Saul. Notice in verse 15, there they sacrifice sacrifice of peace offerings before the Lord. So this meeting here was also, by the way, just so we can get an idea, this is an inauguration. We know what inaugurations are, okay? So in our minds, let's liken this to our present day inaugurations. That's what this is. Saul has already been chosen as king. Today he's being inaugurated. Like we have our president uh, gets elected or um, they say he gets elected or whatever, and then uh, he's inaugurated in January, right? So this is kind of what's going on here. It's interesting that it was a time of worship because it's no greater time for a nation to worship than the day that they are putting a new person in charge of the government, amen? And so that's what they did. Even today, even though our day is getting more wicked as it goes on, uh, usually a president after the inauguration goes to a church service. Uh, that's even, uh, even in our day today. Worship says we need God's help to rule successfully. Worship says we must have God's help if our nation will survive. And Israel was wrong in wanting a king, but the worship in this inauguration is still instructive. The uh, Psalms 9, 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. So at this meeting in chapter 12, Samuel preaches a sermon. At our presidential inaugurations, the president is the one who gives a speech. But it is Samuel, not Saul, who speaks here. I got to thinking this week, that'd be kind of good for our inaugurations if you'd get a leather-lunged Baptist preacher up there instead of the president, wouldn't it? In fact, if they asked me, I'd go. Amen? They haven't asked me yet. I doubt they will. But it's surprising here. Not only does Samuel preach, think about this as an inauguration. Everybody's all pumped up and hyped up. And Samuel gets up to preach. And he preaches not about Saul, but about the wickedness of Israel in wanting Saul as their king. That's a pretty brave preacher. As a preacher, I always look at those things in that vein. That's a pretty brave guy. Uh, what? Don't forget, just minutes before, they were ready to kill anybody who wasn't on Team Saul. Samuel gets up in front of all of them and says, you bunch of wicked reprobates that wanted this king in the first place, in so many words. So here, uh, by the way, wouldn't it be great if we'd have this type of, of courage in our pulpits today? He didn't hesitate to preach against the prominent sins of the congregation he's speaking to. Uh, his sermon, it consisted of two main parts. And I have about seven minutes to get through them. Number one, the holiness of Samuel. He and we read some of that. He starts asking questions. How have I failed you in any way? He puts his testimony to a test in front of all these people. And he reminds them that this king idea wasn't his idea. It was their idea. And uh, he acquiesced to their wishes because God told him to, not because he wanted to. Uh, but, but going along with their desire did not mean they were correct. Realize and understand this because... Uh, it, 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 sometimes God's way of punishing us is to give us exactly what we want. Read uh, Romans chapter 1, and he'll tell you that. The worst thing God can do for us at sometimes is to give us exactly what we want. See, how can that be? Have you raised children? Give your two-year-old everything they want, and, and he'll probably kill himself in short order, you know? And so that's... Uh, that's, that's the same way we are with God. So Israel getting their way did not sanction their way. 
People are prone to think that if God blesses them, that he's approving of him. And not always because he sends the rain on the righteous and the wicked. He does uh, just because things are good things are happening to you does not mean that God's approving you. Uh, Henry, Matthew Henry said, though we meet with prosperity and success in a way of sin, yet we must not therefore think the more favorably of it. It is the word of God, not prosperity, that determines whether or not we are doing the right thing. Samuel challenged the Israelites to find any sin in him. And as we read, they, they testify that they did not find any sin in him. Here, Samuel challenges them to see if he had taken anything from them in any way. And through greedy appropriations, which would be taxes, or through violence, which would be oppression. Have I done any of those things to him? It's common for men in power uh, to use their position for selfish purposes. Samuel is demonstrating he didn't do any of that. And uh, there were no takers in finding evil in Samuel. The Israelites cleared of them all wrongdoing. And then look at what they said in verse 4. Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, nor hast thou taken any or taken aught of any man's hand. This statement they made condemned themselves. If Samuel was such a good man, why, didn't, why did they want a king? Matthew Henry analyzed this really well. They could not have had a better man to rule them. They only desired a bigger man. Think about that. Yes, that's, that's a lot of Christians today too. Going after the flash and the lights of the world. Uh, they were in bad shape spiritually. So they were more interested in bigger than better. They were more interested in physical stature than spiritual status in a person's life. That's why they rejected Samuel and went after Saul. People today still, and we do it too, are constantly rejecting Samuels that God has put in our life and following after Saul. So I'm not only talking people, but things, opportunities, and all those areas. So um, just like if uh, if Josephine moves away, she's rejecting Samuel and following Saul. You know what I'm saying? Just putting that thought in your mind there. Um, I'm just kidding. All right. In marriage, jobs, elections, schools, friends, we constantly reject spiritual excellence for physical benefit. And it's always a mistake. Not only does it talk about the, uh, the holiness of Samuel, but the history of Israel. And we didn't read this so much, but he, he starts to talk to them in verse 6. It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. And he talks about some of the things that God did. In verse 7, he tells the people to stand still as they consider Israel's past history. This is the same command that Samuel had told Saul uh, to do when he spoke at Saul's anointing in, in, in chapter 9, verse 27. Standing still is a posture of attention in respect to what's being said. Today, in our churches, we would tell people to sit still. You know, But, uh, but you're, you understand if people are up and moving around, that shows a lack of attention. I was preaching last week at a church in Elbow Lake, and we had a good meeting the first night. Uh, we had some young people there, and the whole time I'm preaching, they're just randomly getting up and walking over and picking something up over there, and then another one went over there and got a pencil, and then one wanted a piece of paper, and then wanted to get a Bible, just walking back and forth. It was a terrible distraction for me, and I know the people as well. And so when you're not sitting still, you're not standing still, it means you're not usually paying attention. So that's what he's saying here, pay attention. And he wanted to reason with the people concerning their history. Look at what he says here. Uh, where is that verse? Um, oh, verse 7. Therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord. 
The Hebrew word translated reason in this verse is only translated reason in this verse one time in your King James Version. It's not the same original word as we find in Isaiah. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Different word. This word is only found, found as reason. 170 times it's used in the Old Testament, and it's most of the time some form of judge, judgest, those type of words, uh, translated to judge. And 11 times it's also translated to plead, like I plead with you. And so the meaning of the word is to judge. That's why it's translated judge so many times. But all three of these translations of the word can be seen in the purpose of Samuel's message. He's, uh, he takes the facts and history as reasons that their conduct should not desire a king, but desire God. He takes the facts and history and judges their present evil uh, or their present conduct as evil. He takes the facts and history and pleads for them to change their ways. Samuel spoke of the times when Israel has been on the oppression of the enemy. Many times the cause of the oppression is found in verse 9. They forgot the Lord their God. That's always the reason we fall into oppression. The people thought their problem was a lack of a king, but it was their forgetfulness of God that was the problem. The problem is not, by the way, this isn't talking about a biological problem of the brain like, like we forget things. Am I the only one? I'm sure all of us forget things. I have I've counted a great success if I can leave my office, go out to my car, and go home without walking in and bringing, getting something I forgot. About 90% of the time, I'm walking in to pick something up I forgot. Uh, and and a standing here, do I have everything? Do I have everything? And I leave, ah, memory. Not that type of forget thing, forgetfulness. It's talking about a spiritual problem in the soul, not a biological problem in the brain. They forgot God. Lack of devotion leads to forgetfulness, and this forgetfulness leads to ruin. We can forget a lot of other things in our life with less consequences than forgetting God. And then the cry in the oppression. Twice we're told, verses 8 and verse 10, they cried to the Lord for help. Israel's current response to their oppression did not produce a cry to the Lord. They cried to Samuel for a king instead of crying to the Lord for help. They would rue this day for the rest of their existence. But that's what happens when we go to other places other than God for our spiritual help. If we need spiritual help, we need to go to the Lord for spiritual help. We need to go to church. We need to get around God's people. We need to go to the Word of God instead of uh, trying to fill those voids with worldly things. It's always going to be a failure. Then they, uh, we see here they confessed. Oh my goodness, we're out of time. But I just want to make two points. Verse 10, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth. Uh, this is uh, this was referring to pri pr previous oppression. And uh, they cried out for deliverance, but they also were quick to confess their sins. Most people prefer to uh, excuse their sins instead of confessing their sins. We need to confess them. Confession is the only way to deal with the, pro with the sin problem. And comparing uh, Israel was not confessing sin here again in their current situation. They were only making things worse instead of confessing their, their sin. Now, I'm going to stop there because um, I could kind of wrap it up, but I, I want to talk about a few more things here before we move on because there's a great point here that I, I want to make. In fact, I'll just touch on it and we'll get it twice because it's so good anyway. But after he was all done, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I want to wrap up on a positive note tonight. Verse 22, after they messed up, after they did this wickedness, 
after they admitted, okay, we messed up and asked him for a king. Verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Now, <laughs> that's a blessing. They messed up. They messed up. And God said, I'll still be your God. And because I have made you my people. You're not my people because you earned it. And by the way, we're not his people because we earned it. We're his people because he made us his people. And so we're not going to unearn it either. You can't unearn what you didn't earn in the first place. So I love that, the way that that ends. is just such a blessing. Undeserving as Israel was. You know who else is undeserving? I'm undeserving. You are too. We're all undeserving. But he'll still be our God and we'll still be his people. What a blessing that is and encouragement. Thank you, Father, for this passage. We pray that you'd help us as we just examine lives and of course we see great mistakes made and, and great uh, foolishness in some of the lives that we examine through scripture but uh, they can certainly be a help to us if we can avoid making some of the mistakes that Saul made then that's a win that's a victory in our behalf and we pray you'd help us do so as we continue this study we pray in Jesus name amen amen and amen you are dismissed thank you for